Good morning. We are Brian and Renee Webb. God has blessed us with four amazing kids, and we have served as missionaries for the last 22 years. If you know us, you know us as missionaries to Vanuatu. But a couple of years ago, we were asked to assume the role of area directors for Pacific Oceana. So allow me to introduce you to Pacific Oceana. This is the world's largest mission field. Pacific Oceana encompasses a third of the Earth's surface, 23 nations, 40 million people, spread out over 30,000 islands, speaking over a thousand different languages. It is by far the most diverse, complex, and isolated mission field on earth. Pacific Oceana hosts every ism in the religious spectrum. Animism, nominalism, secularism, atheism, Hinduism, Mormonism, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, are all found in Pacific Oceana. Our ministry contexts vary from uh, modern cities to tiny jungle villages where the children of cannibals still fearfully worship ancestral spirits. Nearly half of Pacific Oceana's population is under the age of 24. Loss of traditional roles, severely limited futures have led to epidemic levels of depression and teen suicide. And one of our nations, Chuk, one out of every 40 young men will choose to end their own life before the age of 25. Why? does such a massive field have only 15 missionaries? In two words, it's hard. Missions, any kind of missions is hard. Missions that invade Satan's domain, seeks to establish the church where it's never been, that's a special kind of hard. It's hard to get visas, hard to learn the language, hard to understand the culture, hard to find the basic necessities of life. It's hard to live there. Hard to communicate, hard to be separated from your family, hard to do without those little things like Reese's peanut butter cups. Trust me, it's hard. Hard to be far from home on the holidays, hard to live surrounded by poverty, hard to come face to face with the worst kinds of injustice. I could go on for pages, it's hard. I think if we were to sum up why one third of the world lives without the knowledge of Jesus Christ in one simple sentence, it would be, it's hard. It's dirty, it stinks, bed bugs are a nightmare, sleeping on the ground is, well, hard. Climbing mountains, slogging through swamps, cutting your way through the jungle, off-roading through knee-deep mud, crossing rivers without bridges, braving big seas and small boats, it's hard. Pouring your heart into planting a church in a village only to have the village burned and the church destroyed, it's hard. Continuing to advance at the risk of arrest or deportation, imprisonment, beatings, martyrdom, it's hard. Living where there are no stores, no doctors, no schools, no toilets, no internet, no roads, no churches, no comforts, it's hard. Living where there are four-inch cockroaches and eight-inch centipedes, muggers in the alley, roadblocks at the intersection, it's hard. Living where demons prowl and darkness dominates, fear festers and hope fails, it's hard. As a church, 
We seem to be united in the idea that things must change. The unreached must be reached. Someone ought to go. Someone should tell those people about Jesus. Someone should plant the church where there is none. Someone should push back at the darkness. Someone should write the injustice. Someone should pay the price. Someone should go to the hard places. What we seem a little less clear on is who this someone should be. Someone, but not me, not my children, not my grandbabies. If we could win the world with two-week mission trips to the safe places, it would already be done. Completing the task before us will require doing the hard things. The other thing that we're less than clear on is how hard is too hard. For that missionary serving in the hard place, when do things get hard enough to justify calling it quits, moving on, relocating, changing seasons of ministry, transitioning to a different phase, stepping away? How hard? It's too hard. When you're tired, when you're sick, when your baby is sick, there is no doctor. When you haven't slept in a month, when people violate your personal space, when evil people violate your home, your life, your children, when danger surrounds you, when conditions become unbearable, how hard is too hard? Or when, when does a reasonable person quit? Can I tell you that the cause of Jesus Christ will not be advanced among the unreached by reasonable people? Satan has not held these territories for 2,000 years by creating only reasonable obstacles. If there is a cost that is too dear for you, he will set it up. If there is a point of pain where you will bail, he will create it. If you will quit, you will. How hard is too hard? People will curse you. The police will arrest you. Judges will imprison you. Jailers will beat you. Some of you will die. Those are not my words. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. Bluntly, he said, look at how they treat me. They will treat you worse. No disrespect intended, but Christ did not call us to experience our best life now. He called us to come and die and to experience our best life in eternity. So how hard is missions? It's hard like a rugged cross member digging into your shoulder while you trudge down a dusty road outside of Jerusalem. It's hard like a back crisscrossed with jagged tears from a whip. It's hard like having your beard ripped out. It's hard like being spit on by those you're dying to serve. It's hard like watching your own mother grieve over you. Yet to those who are watching, a battered, bruised Savior catches their eye and says, come, take up your cross, follow me. Jesus calls us to notice the state of the harvest. It's white, perishable, overripe, at risk. And yet instead of focusing on the challenge, he calls us to see the opportunity. 
He calls for us to be people of action who will seize the day. He calls for resolute men and women who are courageous, who will recognize the dangers, but move on in the face of fear. And at some point, each of us must determine our role in this divine enterprise. Will we spectate? Will we warm the bench? Or will we step onto the field and boldly contest the eternal destinies of men, women, tribes, nations, and peoples? Today, what will you do? Will you warm the bench? Or will you step onto the field? A few months ago, I took Zachariah Cunningham to the Solomon Islands on the hopes that he would feel God's call to serve that nation. The places we stayed The food that we ate could best be described as rough. I asked him, Zachariah, what would make a young man like yourself leave the United States to come and work in a place like this? And he answered that when playing football in high school, he never wanted to sit on the bench and watch the game unfold. He said, I made up my mind. I would train as hard as I had to train so that when the game started, I could stand on the field and contest the conclusion. And if I'm going to follow Jesus, I don't want to sit on the sidelines. I want to stand on the field and contest the outcome. So what about you? You could get your feet wet. You could stretch your boundaries. You could discover a whole new world. You could give me one to 11 months. You could see what missions looks like in the Pacific. Or you could explore missions in the Pacific. You could leave the shore. You could submerge yourself in a novel environment. You could give me one or two years. You could learn how God could use you in the Pacific. Or you could dive in. You could take the plunge. You could abandon yourself completely to the largest mission field on earth. You could give your life. You and God could change the destiny of a Pacific nation. Listen, God is building an incredible team of missionaries across the Pacific. And I want to invite you to submit your heart to God and say, God, how can I be a part of what you're doing in the Pacific? God bless you guys. Thank you, Pastor, so much. Oh, certainly. Thank you, Brian. We're going to spend just a few minutes chatting with you here because I've got way too many questions for you to let you go at this point. Mm. The first thing I want to know, I saw um, a dear friend toward the front and many of our people know about Greg Mundus. And I saw Greg, uh, who is the executive director of the uh, Assemblies of God Foreign Missions Department, <coughs> World Missions. And uh, he has been struck with this coronavirus. Uh, what, what, what do you know about his situation? So, so Greg uh, had, he's roughly two weeks now, he's been in ICU and uh, has been on a ventilator. Uh, we get regular updates from his son. Greg right. Jr. is a, is a physician. physician. Yeah, right. and so we get regular updates from him. Uh, the word this morning was that he is improving. Uh, he's, he's awake, alert, responding to questions, um, uh, and that he is slowly being weaned off the ventilator. So he's, he's really doing, as far as the improvement, he's doing well, but just needs to get past that ventilator. Yeah, okay. Father, I just ask you to touch Greg today. <clears throat> Such a is a general in the army of God. 
serves in such a strategic capacity. And so many people across the world, the entire globe have been praying for him. But Lord, we're asking again in this moment, in this hour, will you touch Greg Mundus in the name of Jesus? Let your healing come. And so we commit him to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that beautiful video and stirring. Uh, can I just ask some basic questions? Where is Vanuatu? So Vanuatu is, Vanuatu. Vanuatu is where we've lived for the last 20 plus years. Uh, it's a thousand miles due east of Cairns, Australia. So it's, it's, it's this uh, Y-shaped arpeggio of islands, 85 islands. Have we got a map we could show? 300,000 people. Here we go. Hemenau. 300,000 people. And, uh, and, and the thing that's fascinating about Vanuatu Wait, is 120 that's a thousand languages. miles from... That's 1,000 miles. This yeah, is, and, and this Cairns, is Vanuatu, right? Yeah, yeah. So Cairns is up here, right? So Cairns okay. is up here. So yeah, Vanuatu is... And so then we're 1,500 miles north of, of New Zealand. Where's Fiji? Fiji's right here. And Samoa. Uh, Samoa's over here. We're, we we got to we got to move way over there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we Pacific's see Pacific's a big place. We're up here. Uh, the United States is up here. So this is where Vanuatu is. Hey, me now. Okay. Um, how long have you been there? Uh, a little over twenty years now. Twenty-one years, I guess. Twenty-one years. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 and that's not quite right. No, because we we spent uh, we spent a little bit of time in Tonga first. So. Uh, I guess right at 19 years then. Why Vanuatu? Of all the places, if God's called you to the mission field, I understand that uh, in this area, people tend to go to Spanish-speaking parts, you know, which is great, from Texas, uh, Central America, South America. Um, Why Vanuatu? Where are you from originally? I'm from Fort Worth. I grew up in Hearst, actually, so, well, so just down the road. That's yeah. what, I, we knew we felt a common spirit yeah, there, there you somehow. Go. There you go. Okay. And that's a great question because, you know, what we found is that missionaries go where they know about. Yeah. Yeah, so you, create, you get this great feedback loop, and it's, it's ironic because almost 76% of all new missionaries will go to places that, that are actually more Christian than where they came from. At the same time, we've got almost 2 billion people in the world where no one speaks their language that can tell them about Jesus. So, so we're out of sync there. So yeah. I'll tell you my journey. God called me when I was a child. I was 11 years old. The, the call of God was incredibly powerful in my life. And, and specifically, he called me to go to where there were no churches. So I was going to go plant churches where there were none. Uh, but pastorally, it, it turned out the first church I pastored was full of Pacific Islanders. And so then they're saying, hey, pastor, you got to go see the islands. And it really was just the, the, the intersection of those two things, where God led us as a senior pastor, but then also the call of where God. Was, where was that? That was in Neosho, Missouri. So we, we pastored the first, started and you had Pacific pastured. Islanders in Neosho, Missouri? Scads of them. So I'm working at a Tyson food plant. Who would have thought? Uh, paying my way through Bible school at this little Tyson food plant. And everybody I worked with was from the islands. Wow. And so God put it on our heart to plant a church for these islanders. And of course, you know, pastor, you got to see our island. You got to see where we're from. And, uh, and they kept saying, you got to be a missionary of the islands. I'm like, never, no way. But, but God then showed us Vanuatu was that intersection. Okay. And, and we just had great peace about it. Yeah, well, we know what the Lord says about how steps of good people are ordered of the Lord. Mm. And you just have to, you know, you have to rest in that. Did you have any interaction with the Islanders when you were in Hearst? Because Ulysses just next door no, has a huge no, Tongan group. No, I didn't. Group. But you know, I just had I just had dinner with uh, 
a Tongan couple in Euless just the other day. But no, I think when I was growing up, I don't really think that we had that immigrant community here yet. Uh, I'm older than I look. Yeah. Don't, don't go. I almost, but I didn't. <laughs> don't, don't go for that. Yeah, whatever. Um, I've got so many things I want to ask you, but the thing I really want to, <laughs> I want to get to, which I think is going to be very unique and interesting for Bethesda. You said you're from Hearst. I want to know something about your spiritual journey, and I want to know how did you meet the Lord? Sure. Um, you know, I, I posted on Facebook this morning how excited I was to be at Bethesda because this is where I first believed. And so I was sitting in the sanctuary in there. The building was brand new at that point. I was sitting in the sanctuary. Um, I can't tell you who was speaking. It was a guest speaker. He was white-headed. But all I can tell you is that when the service came to conclusion, the Holy Spirit gripped my heart. In this church. In this church. I, I can take you. I, Josh and I went in, and, and, I, and I said, this is the pew where we're sitting. And, and the Holy Spirit gripped my heart. I began to weep. I'm very thankful for a father, my godly father. I, I said to her, Daddy, I think I'm going to die. And he said, what's the matter? I said, I feel so heavy. My heart feels so heavy. And, and even though I was just a very small child, my dad talked me through, uh, you know, sin, the need of salvation. My theology was so limited. Here's what I understood. I knew I was a sinner. Yep. I knew I was a sinner. And my daddy said Jesus was a savior. And that's all that mattered. Yep. And we walked down to that altar. I knelt down. Dad led me in a sinner's prayer. I was weeping. I, I can remember it so vividly. In my mind, I had this heart that was filthy with sin. And I mean, this is just a little boy. This is my imagery in my mind. And that heart was removed and a clean new one went in. And how I felt, I went home. I was telling all my, all my, all my neighborhood kids about how, how I'd been saved and how Jesus had given me a new heart. And yeah, so for me to come back, I, I want to say this is, a, this is such a, um, such a meaningful service for me. And, and, and Josh and I went in. I, I, for years, for years, I've said, God, I want to go, I want to go stand in that same spot where I found you. And you did the other day. We yeah. did. It was yeah. so fun because we went. He said, I think it, it was this pew. No, it was this pew. This is was, the spot. It, it was this yeah. building. That had to yes. be about it was 74, something like 74, 75. Uh, yeah, so it would have been, it would have been 75. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and then we walked up the altar, which you would have walked. Yep. To find your, or up the aisle to the yep. altar. And then you said, but it, but it wasn't here. It was, no. it was further up. I mean, yeah. he, <laughs> no, the, the, he, you've, he you've remodeled our stage. About you've times. remodeled. And, <laughs> and so actually where I gave my life to Jesus Christ is under the stage now. Okay. But I, I walked him over and I showed him, remember like, you know, cause I remember where the exit door was. And I remember, and, and you know, God changed my life. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, a childhood confession. Is that really, I'm going to tell you, God changed my life yeah. and I've never been the same since. That's my moment of faith. Yeah. That's where my journey with Jesus Christ began. Well, I think I told you, I know I told you, <clears throat> and the Bethesda knows, uh, a very dear close friend of mine is Randy Hurst. Mm. He's usually here about once a year to preach and he uh, uh, was here just in the early part of January and he's, we talk often, he's a close friend of mine and yet with all the missionaries he knows in the position he's been at AGWM and he's in a pretty high ranking position there and has been for a long time, knows hundreds and hundreds of missionaries. I don't know why you're making me cry this morning, my brother, but uh, this is touching my heart. But uh, Randy has never once called 
with all the times that we talk and said, Dan, you need to have this missionary. And he well could have done that. He could have, um, he knows many of them and how many, many are, are in need and hurting and would love to come and, and be at Bethesda. And he's never once, um, he's never treated our relationship that way at all. Not that it would be a bad thing for him to do that. He called me about you. And so when he did, I thought, this is unusual. I've known Randy since I was 14. And I said, uh, he said, Dan, I want to I recommend a missionary that you need to have at Bethesda. I said, well, you know, it's notable to me. You've, you've never done that. He said, well, there's, there's something different about this guy. First of all, Randy served in Samoa. You know that, right? So he has a great heart for the, for the South Pacific. And uh, I've actually been there as well. One of the missions videos that I was able to produce for AGWM, we filmed on the in the western island uh, of Samoa, and, and it's easy to fall in love with that part of the world. And so he knew that I felt that way, and he said, "But the reason," uh, he said, first of all, this guy's he's got some stories, and I'm going to ask you that in a second." <laughs> and he said, uh, "But he's he's doing the, the the reason I call you a conventional missionary. This is what we just saw. Looks like the somewhat the missions films I saw when I was a little kid. People out in the bush." You know, I don't see that you're sitting behind a, a desk in a lovely air-conditioned place. I hope you do have some air conditioning, but but uh, this is this looks like this is the real roll up your sleeves, and all conveniences are gone, and um, uh, and this is a very conventional missions work. And I thank God for all missionaries in whatever way God has called them, career missionaries, uh, those who are bivocational, all of that. Thankful for all that. But this was unique, and he wanted to introduce me to that. And he said, but the thing you need to know is he got saved at Bethesda Community Church. I said, what? And uh, it would have been Northside Assembly at that time. We had not changed. No, they would have ch- the name changed. The name changed when we moved. No. Okay. No. Well, I was a little kid. I was a little <laughs> in kid. In 78 when I came, it was still, it was was still it really? north side. Yeah. Okay. But, and it changed shortly after that. Okay. Well, so, I stand corrected there. So anyway, um, I, I, just curious, are they having any coronavirus there in so Vanuatu? So in, in Vanuatu, there are no cases at the moment. Uh, in the Pacific, we have uh, a few. Guam has cases. Uh, Fiji, New Caledonia, and... Uh, uh, what is called French Polynesia, so Tahiti, Bora Bora, that area. But those four countries. Uh, other than that, uh, God has been gracious to us. Oh, yeah. yeah. Any idea, I know the answer to this, any idea when you'll be able to go back? Really, the answer is no. So the we fly, we get into the Pacific, there's three gateways, really, Australia, New Zealand, and Fiji. All three of those uh, flights for non-citizens are essentially... Uh, cut off from now until June 1. And the truth is, we'll only know what'll happen uh, June 1 yep. when, when we get there. And, and even if I could get there at this point, most of the Pacific countries, Vanuatu included, uh, has completely closed their borders, no flights in or out. Yeah. So you're just in waiting like the rest of us are. I, I am believing. I told every one of my missionaries, I said, you know, God put you here. You are, you are here like Esther. It is for such a time as this. Right. You're in this kingdom right now for this time, this place. And I have to believe the same thing is true about myself. I, I have no idea what that will be. I am walking day by day in faith. Yeah, well, yeah, as we, as we all are for sure. But I just didn't know if you had any idea if you'd be able to go back. What was this about the project that you were talking about a while ago? The, uh, he was telling me over lunch 
There's a clinic that got built halfway, and if he leaves it up to the locals to build it, it'll get done in 2097. But can I can I tell you the story of it? Sure. Okay. So so the, in in Vanuatu, there's an island called Pentecost. Pretty good name for an island, really? right? It was discovered on Pentecost Sunday, so that's how it got the name. But, but that's but that's also because of the Spanish influence yes, a couple hundred years yes, before. Yes, so. but well, actually, it was Portuguese. But yeah, we're just we're splitting hairs now. But uh, but the thing about Pentecost is you know it. You've actually seen pictures from Pentecost in video, even though you don't know it, because because National Geographic loves these guys. On the south end of Pentecost, there's a set of tribes called the Sa. And, uh, and they are famous for building these towers out of what looks like sticks. And they climb up about 100 feet up in the air, and they tie vines around their ankles, and they, they then summon the spirit's attention, and they dive off of these towers. Mm. And the objective is that when they, when they hit the ground, just their head will just brush the ground. That is a symbolic sacrifice to the yam god, and then he will bless their harvest for the year. All right, so this is one of the more resistant, unreached tribes in Vanuatu. Uh, very, very resistant. Matter of fact, when we went in and first started trying to plant a church there, uh, I, I went up and the chief said to me, missionary, if you send another pastor up here, you're going to come collect their body. Uh, just, just, so we, we, we went in first with a medical group uh, in a little village called Pomeo. Man, there's a, a dozen stories I could tell you there, but people, people began to know who God was, began to meet with God. It's basically that. Went back with students, pastors, just kept going back to these villages. And um, a, a few years ago, I think it was three years ago this month, or actually last month, three years ago last month, we planted the first church ever in wow. this tribe. And, and the village is uh, Haraplan Bush. And, and we planted that first church. I, I mean, I wish I could take you there. It's this little, this little thatch building, bamboo walls, woven bamboo walls. The floor's dirt. Uh, the pews are just bamboo logs. And, and the, the, the platform is just, they kind of, you know, circled off an area and built the dirt up a little higher. And then there's this slab of rosewood this huge slab of rosewood sitting there, and that's the pulpit. And then up above the pulpit, there's this hole cut so that light falls in. Because it's a pretty dark building, no electricity. Light falls in, and it actually falls on the pulpit. Wow. And so we got there that first Sunday, and I cut the ribbon. We go in this church. Uh, the, every, every little bamboo pew is filled to capacity. There's a wall. There's a window in the wall right about eye level. And all the way around the church, people are just jammed around there looking in. I can look out and see people. There's a Namumbe tree out there and I can see people standing in the shade of that Namumbe tree. And I, and, I, and I stood in that pulpit and I preached on lessons from the eternal nature of God. And, and, and people responded to the altar. But after the majority of people responded, there was this young man way out in the courtyard of the church and he came and, you know, he walked with a very determined stride. My first thought was, hey, he's coming up here to beat me up. I mean, you know, he, he was, he was coming, he was determined and he came and he dropped his bag right as he entered the door of the church and he came and he stood in that altar and he began to sob and weep. And the tears are rolling down his cheeks and the light from that window is hitting his, and I tell you, I can't imagine a better first service. I can imagine a thousand more just like it. Now, I, I wish that was the end of that story. The tribe responded to this by coming together 
and burning down that village Hmm. and destroying that church. And so I said, I I went and I got the paramount chief and I got all 23 chiefs of the Northern Saw tribe together. And I sat them down and I said, look, Jesus loves you. I love you and I'm not going away. So we've got to figure out a way I can be involved in your life. I said, can I, can I plant a church? And they said, no, no churches. I said, how about if we build a, a school? They said, no, we've observed that when kids learn how to read and write, they become Christians. So we don't want our kids to learn to read and write. I said, how about a medical clinic? Could I build you a medical clinic? And, uh, and the guy said, yeah. They said, you can, we'll let you build a medical clinic. And so we have this ceremony. I apologize if I'm going too long. No, here, no, no. We have this ceremony and they cut this cow up. It's very Old Testament. They cut this cow up and me and all the chiefs, we, we walk single file through the middle of this dead cut up cow. And then everybody takes a piece of him home. And, and really the agreement is anybody who violates this agreement gets cut up like the cow, right? I mean, if you eat the meat, that's what you're, you're signing on. And so we did this. And then the Paramount chief said, come on, let's go mark the corners of the land. So we go and it's in a little village called Pommel, Pentecost. And so we marked these corners, got a little handheld GPS and we're marking the corners and, and we're going along and all these little five and six year old boys, you know, you saw them in the village, they're not wearing any clothes and, and they're just, they're just running around and they're jabbering away in language. And my, my saw translator said to me, he said, Brian, do you want to know what they're saying? And I said, yeah. He said, they're saying, this is where the missionary is going to build us our school. And the chiefs have just said no schools. Yeah. But these little five and six-year-old boys are saying, this is where it's going to happen. And so, so we, we started work on this clinic. And, and like Josh said, it's 50% done. It is, if I had a solid, hardworking team, it could be done in a week. Um, and, but, and Amber and I put a list together. You've got the list. That night huh? yeah. of, of six or eight people in our congregation that have that kind of skill. And I'm like, I would love did you to put go. my name on there? No. So, so I went back in you November. You can hold the nails with me. Yeah. I went back in November. And, and we were doing some work on the clinic. And one of the high-ranking chiefs, his name is Wabak, came and he met me. And he took my hand in both of his. And, and we're standing in the, in, the, in the yard of that clinic. And he said to me, Brian, do you remember when we met with the 23 chiefs? And I said, yes. He said, every chief who opposed you is dead. He said, the last one died five days ago. You can do anything you want to do. And standing there where those five and six-year-old boys said, this is where the missionary is going to build us our school. He said, I want you to promise me something. I want you to build schools on Pentecost. And I want the first one to be right here. Oh, my goodness. That's incredible. (laughs) It is incredible. Wow. Mm. I could, I could keep going, but I mean, it is just what God has so done. So is the school built? No, no. The clinic is halfway done. He and Chief Wabak and I went down and we marked out the location of where the school's going to be. Now, uh, you guys, I don't know if y'all have girls ministry at, at your church. I, I should have talked with you beforehand, but, but girls ministry in, in this year, in 2020, has adopted those schools. And so the, the, the kids, they call it coins, uh, Coins for kids or something along those lines? Yeah. Like BGMC? It is a BGMC project. And the girls in particular have adopted these schools on Pentecost. And they're going to be raising the money. And we're not going to just build there. Listen, these are communities that said never, never to a church, never to a school. And, and we have five communities in that tribe that have now come to us, given us land, and requested us to build schools. Wow. So your kids in your church, when they are participating in BGMC, they're going to be a part 
in those schools being played. Yeah, Penny Reeves and Impact Girls may yes. be yeah. taking on a new project soon. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah. Okay, so the clinic, though, is half done. It's halfway done. It's all framed in. The exterior sheathing's in. All the interior framing's done. How long would it take to finish it? I, I really think a solid team could get it done in, in between five and ten days. Okay, you remember... Oh, 12 years ago, whenever Stephen Evans took that group down into the Amazon mm -hmm. River and the basin mm -hmm. there, I can totally see a team going in there and knocking that out. That is Just wish we could fly there today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're not going to do that today. But yeah. when God opens the door, what if we got ready? What yeah, if we and, got ready? And what happens when you... You finish that clinic. Is it then school time? Is it then? Well, we'll, we'll next build the school, but the clinic will immediately begin operating. So we've got missionaries. I'm, listen, if you're a, a nurse or if you're a nurse practitioner or if you're a physician's assistant or if you're a full-on doctor and you want to come work there, we can let you work there for two weeks to two months or if you want to dive in, uh, you can go. But we have nurses uh, and nurse practitioners that serve in Vanuatu and they'll staff that clinic. Um, and, and what'll happen is then that's in an area like there's still no churches there because they burned out the one church. That church had to move to another village outside of the tribal boundaries. And, uh, it's going to be day-to-day -day engagement with people with the love of Jesus Christ and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ at the same time. Brian, what are, <clears throat> and you expressed so much of it wonderfully in your video, what are your biggest challenges? Or what, what is unique about the challenges of being in Vanuatu? Well, I don't want to be redundant, but it's, it's hard. Uh, a number of our missionaries live off the grid. Um, they, live, they live hard lives. I, you know, when, when I was asked to serve as the area director, we have terrible attrition or have had terrible attrition in the Pacific. And, and Jeff Hartzenfeld, the new regional director, he, he looked at me and he said, what is it about the islands? And I said, it's hard. It is just, we, you're, you're living on an island where there is no store. There is no internet. There is no, I mean, there's nothing uh, that we have gotten used to in the States. And so it really does take that commitment to pick up your cross and follow Jesus yeah. to the hard place. Yeah. So tell me something about your family and how have they, you said you had four boys? No, I've got four kids. Okay. Yeah, my oldest is a daughter, Alicia. So my daughter, Alicia, is in Vanuatu right now. She's a missionary associate. And uh, because her language skills are just insane, we've never had Sunday school curriculum in our language before. And so she is building the first Sunday school curriculum uh, in Bishlama. And uh, she calls it Sunday school in my language. And she's just doing a great job. Wow. And we, we, we've FaceTime with her uh, on a daily basis through this, you know, and, sure. and talk to her. But yeah, um, and then I have a, a son who is married, Brian, and his wife, Sarah. They live in Burleson. They have this gorgeous little grandbaby of mine called Amy. You yeah. want to talk about grandbabies? I know. I saw, I saw the picture on your iPad. I'll, I yeah. can talk about grandbabies. Yeah. So go ahead. Well, this is my first. Okay. So I'm new to this thing. But, but she's just beautiful. It's killing us, this whole quarantine thing and not being able to oh, go see her. And, yeah. I know. I know. And yeah. then I have a son, uh, Drew. He's, he's in uh, Bible school in Missouri. And then Eli, who's supposed to turn 13, he's still with us. Still with you. Yeah. What's it like for a 13-year-old to live in a place like that? Well, my kids absolutely love Vanuatu. Like, like that, that's what, of course, that's what they grew up in, right? Alicia was four. Brian was two, you know. Uh, so they've grown up there. But there's a liberty and a freedom. Um, my kids are never happier than when we're sleeping in a thatch hut and we're in a village. You know, Renee still does homeschool with them. 
But man, as soon as they're finished with that day of homeschool, they shoot out the door. There's 40 or 50 village kids. They're in the river. They're in the ocean. They're, yeah. Yeah. They have a blast. And that's what they've gotten used to. Yeah. Um, I want you to tell us about, I brought uh, this one book here. Yeah. Tell us about, you've got some books. Yes. One or two. And tell, tell Bethesda how they can get a hold of them. Okay. So um, this one is called The Sons of Cannibals. Pastor Josh has got another one called Hungry Devils. We refer to these as the Pay Our Kids Way to College Fund. All right? <laughs> so this was our daughter, Alicia, and four years through Bible school, debt-free. Uh, this was my son, Brian, four years, Sagu, debt-free. So praise God. My, my theory is if people buy enough copies of these two books, I don't have to write a third and we'll, we'll be in good shape, right? They go. are missionary stories. If you like missionary stories, you'll love them. If you don't, well, probably don't buy them. Uh, there's 50 stories in each one. And uh, right now, the best way to get them would be on Amazon. Amazon, yeah, because we can't get them here yeah, today. Two or, two or three pages, great story. Yeah. <clears throat> Fantastic. Okay, I don't know if they're showing the... Uh, the, the picture I know that we, we took of them, but they're available on Amazon.com. So go to Amazon and just put in your name. Brian Search with, for my name. Brian Search. with a Y. Yep. B-R-Y-A-N, Webb, yep. W-E-B-B. That's right. right. Okay, yep. very good. Uh, musicians, why don't you come? We're going to close the service here in just a couple of minutes. Do either of you have any idea, <clears throat> what do you think the Lord is going to do to the church as a result of this crisis? What do you think, what do you think is going to look like on the other side? And I, don't, I shouldn't ask you that without having a chance to think about it. Well, I, I can tell you what I think. Uh, I think that paradigms that have been in place for generations and have kind of calcified uh, are going to be broken. One of the things that we have to do as a missionary is we have to strip everything down to what is the essential elements of the gospel, what is the essential elements of the church, and how, do we, how, do we, how does that look in this new context? And, and really, the church in America has suddenly been thrown into a missions-esque context. Yeah, you're and right. so then, how can we meet the essential needs of the church and fulfill the mission of the church? And I think this online service is a great example, but I think the Holy Spirit is going to give creativity to the body of Christ, and we're going to see new expressions of ministry we never dreamed of. I think it'll be a good thing for the body of Christ. Yeah, yeah. I think a low-hanging idea is just this idea that how much we value the church yeah. and how coming together, that's what we're doing right now. We're coming together, even though it's not the traditional way that we're used to, but I think there would be a, a heightened appreciation of the coming together uh, within the church. I remember several years ago, I was on a three or four week trip over in, in Israel and I remember getting online super early or super late and joining the service. And I remember my heart was just full. And I even texted you and Brent and just said, man, I am just loving church today. It's great. And they said, look, you've just been gone too long. You're just homesick, you know. But the reality is we're all thrown into that. Yeah. And there will be an, an, an appreciation that has, has since gone. Because I don't know if you've noticed it from afar, but the last five, ten years, the, there's been a great undervaluing of the church and even almost just devaluing the church. And it's just, it it's, breaks my heart, breaks his heart. He's where I pick it up from. He recognizes it, drives him nuts. And so I think that's going to be a real quick understanding. And I think in the next two or three weeks, as this really gets real and we really start seeing people struggle that we know, it's going to even mushroom and bloom. And I don't know what all the Lord's got up his sleeve, but it's going to be good for us because he's a good God. Well, I think I said last week on our online service, you know, I'd love to be just a fly on the wall somewhere in the heavens just to hear the conversation of, of what's happened. I don't believe this is all for nothing. 
I don't believe that God will waste this opportunity in any way. Um, and I think it will, it will present unique and new challenges for us in presenting the gospel. And I was just asking the Lord the last three or four days, you know, as we're all really just stuck in our homes, Lord, what, what is, what's the word? What's the word? And um, I think probably most of us are getting more rest than we've ever had in our life, you know. Uh, we're still staying busy in our house doing stuff. But it's, if I feel anything, I think this is going to be a major reset. That's just kind of another way of saying what you just said. I don't think we'll come out on the other side the same way we were as we went into it. This is going to change us. It's going to change missions. It's going to change the church. It's going to change people in many ways. Um, but I, I see it as a, as a major reset. And I think if there's anything God's calling us to do, it's to rest take advantage of this time to rest and prepare. And I just happened to be looking in Isaiah last night and uh, this struck me, and this is certainly not new to any of us, but thus says the Lord, Isaiah 43, starting with verse 16, thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power, they shall lie down together, they shall not rise. They are extinguished, they are quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. I think we're going to, we've heard that verse so often, and we've spiritualized it in all kinds of ways, and we've probably thrown the verse around in ways that maybe shouldn't have even applied. If there's ever going to be a time when the church is going to see a new thing, I believe it's going to be now. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness, that would be today, and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. So Bethesda, what do we keep doing today? We keep loving we keep worshiping Jesus. We keep exalting him. We stay in the word of God. We make sure that our soul is nourished. Don't waste this time. Don't allow it to go by and not let it be productive for your spiritual development. Stay in the word of God. Stay in prayer. And we are, Bethesda, we're continuing to offer you ways, and you'll hear more about that even tonight, of how we can be connected in small groups online. Um, and if you've not done the online thing, I know for some people that's intimidating. Just go check out what I asked you earlier. It was zoom.us slash sign up. Because I am so excited for tonight uh, for what's going to take place in our first and only online prayer service. Now, I'm going to ask you to give us lots of grace. It's our first time to do it. And uh, we may, I may stumble a bit. We have great help. Uh, I may stumble around to try to see how it's going to happen. But it's going to be wonderful just, just to be together. Now, I'm going to say one more thing before Gerard Javon come and, and uh, lead us out of the service here. Brian came today because uh, knowing that we would not be able to take an offering for him. In fact, uh, Josh and I talked about it. We said, well, do we cancel? And we know that probably, probably many of your engagements have canceled. All of them, most of them, all of them have canceled. So 
we have been praying for quite a while because we've known of Brian and his unique stories and his work and his connection to Bethesda. And he's literally, in, in many ways, one of us because he found the Lord here. He's been sent out from this house. That's the way I choose to look at it. Once that got introduced to me that way, we knew that the Lord was calling on us and Josh and I, Josh, who heads our missions council, and you've talked with our missions council about this, that we wanted to be able to... Um, put Brian and his ministry on our regular uh, rotation of monthly support. And only the Lord knows now what that's going to be because the future for all of us is uncertain. But we plan to do that. And so we called him in the last few days, Pastor Josh did, and said, said, we still want you to come. We still want Bethesda to be exposed to you, but we're not able to take an offering for you. Would you be willing to come and just invest in Bethesda today and come for no offering? And then when we get back on our feet, whenever that's going to be, we don't know, then we would we want to put you on our support list. But so the plan was for him to be here today with with no offering. And I'm so thankful and, and humbled by your willingness, Brian, to come that way. But I also know that there's a way for you to give to the ministry of, of Brian Webb and his family and the work they're doing in Vanuatu. If you will go to our website or you will get on the app um, and you will go to and push the button that says give, it takes you to the place where you, many of you are already very accustomed to giving online. There is a drop-down menu there. You may know this better than I do. Drop-down menu there that says missions. There's missions general and then there's missions designated. And if you will go to missions designated, another little box will pop up. It's a memo box. And you could put the name Brian Webb in there. And that's how today, Bethesda, we're going to receive an offering for our missionary, our newfound missionary and a new part of us or a reclaimed part of Bethesda. So if you'll go to the website, go to the place to give under missions designated, it will give a little box to put Brian Webb in there. We'll be able to give a missionary who came today uh, not expecting anything, but I want us to be able to bless him today. Pastor Josh, pray for us as we close the service, would you? Uh, Lord, we can't talk about missions without first thinking about the mission that you sent your son to this earth to rescue us. And so then when you left, you said, hey, my ministry is yours. And so it is our desire to take up your ministry of reconciliation, your ministry to rescue the lost and to bring them into a relationship with you. And Brian is doing that so dynamically and we're called to do that so dynamically at the grocery store and in our work and in our home and those sorts of things. Lord, you have started a something here and I just ask that you would continue it. You have uh, done something amazing with him and his family. I'm asking that you would weave our stories together and. May we wake up at some point in the near future under the open skies of Vanuatu. Or may we wake up knowing that we're supporting this and having a part in this. Lord, it's all in your plan. It's all in your hands. But Lord, I just ask that you would lead us, Bethesda, just as you're leading the webs uh, towards greater and greater things. And may we make a difference, a real tangible difference. And we may not waste our time here on earth. Lord, we bless you. We honor you. We thank you. And we ask that you would just keep on what you've started in Jesus' name. Amen.